Hey everybody, welcome to episode 8 of the MTG Grindcast. After a brief hiatus, uh, this is the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina with a special focus on the SCG Tour. We are your hosts, as always, I am Chris Castor-Apple, and with me is SCG leaderboard mainstay, Collins Mullen. Collins, you're, uh, it sounds like your LCQ did not go super well <laughs> because you immediately won an IQ the next day, so... Well, yeah, um, I ended up losing in the finals of my LCQ, um, as I tend to like to do, apparently. <laughs> I ended up playing... Mono red actually at the LCQ. Okay. Um, not because I thought that it was the best tournament for the weekend, but because I thought that it was probably the best tournament for the LCQ specifically. The, be- the best deck for the LCQ. Right. I th- I felt that given the field there was going to be generally softer. I just wanted to give my deck the most opportunity to just kind of run people over. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a few people might be on teamer. But I didn't think that a bunch of people were going to be on Teamer. Okay. And maybe I could outplay the people that were on Teamer. Because that's the one bad matchup for Red. Mm-hmm. Or at least the worst matchup for Red that exists in Standard right now. But I ended up losing in the finals to Teamer, of course. So maybe I should have just been <laughs> playing Teamer like I had been practicing kind of leading up to the event. Anything saucy? Did you go a little bit bigger? I know a lot of people are starting to go back to Glorybringers and that sort of thing in the main deck of their, their red decks. But were you on like... Not the main. Um, the main was pretty stock to something similar to what PV won the Pro Tour with. So 12 one-drops. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think maybe less one-drops. We were a little bit bigger overall, I think. Okay. We had four of the two ones and four Bomat Couriers mm-hmm. and four Shocks with our one-drop slots. Okay. And we had two Chandras in the main and... Three Hazrets with a fourth Hazret in the board mm-hmm. because there are a lot of matchups where Hazret's just the best card. Yeah. Also gives you the best shot at winning against Teamer. So I played that, and one spicy thing that we did that our team came up with kind of was we had Sweltering Suns in the sideboard, which is something that I don't think that a lot of people have been doing. Mm-hmm. And we we wanted those for the Zombies matchup. Okay. Because you sort of let them go, and then you. Yeah, post board you just become like a m- more controlling deck with mm-hmm. Glorybringers and Chandras and removable spells, uh, and you end up boarding out a lot of your one drops and stuff because your ground beats plan just really isn't going to get there right. against zombies. But you just have so many like ways to like slowly close out the game that you don't really need that aggressive start against zombies as much because mm-hmm. they don't really have any reach. So as long as you can keep them off of the board. You, you can typically take, take over the game with, like, a Glorybringer or a Chandra or something yeah. like that. Do you go up to four Chandras after yes. the board? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So that was our plan there. And I really liked that deck for that tournament, but I ended up losing to Teamer in the finals. Um, it was kind of funny. I was watching... So I beat a good friend of mine, Lucas Michaels, in the semis. He was on Blue-White Approach, mm-hmm. which I think is a very good matchup for Red. Mm-hmm. Um, Unless they draw authority of the consoles in both of their game, game yeah. two and three. <laughs> And, but yeah, for sure. And then I went over to watch the other semifinals matchup, and it was Teamer, who had beat me in the Swiss, <laughs> um, against a green-red, splash-blue Pummeler deck. Okay. Which was a great matchup for me. Right. So I was just kind of, like, sitting there watching the semis, like, crossing my fingers, like, come on, Pummeler, you can do it. <laughs> and he ended up, like, he played, like, a turn three Ronus, the Pummeler guy did, mm-hmm. which is just the best very good against Teamer. Yeah. Right. And I was like, all right, we're doing it. And then he just didn't play another creature and died. I was like, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, lost in finals of that. I guess we, probably the best way to organize this podcast then is to use that as, as a segue into standard 
And then yeah. we talk about your your IQ, which is modern, and use that to talk about modern a little bit. Sure, and for then, sure. And then, you know, the bulk of the rest of the podcast is going to be sweet on spoilers, pirates yeah. and dinosaurs okay. to talk about. Excellent. So we'll talk about that, and then the rest is standard. And then we can transition to modern. So, uh, right, so the... The plan was that if I ended up winning that tournament with Red, I was actually going to switch over to Teamer for the regional Pro Tour qualifier. Okay. Because I felt like Red would just be a little too hated at the regionals. Yeah. And there were higher players. I just wanted to play like a a deck that gave me some more play. None of the guys who are going to top four at an RPTQ are not going to be prepared for Red, basically. Exactly. But to be fair, Red has proven itself resilient past that. Sure. Nobody going to the Pro Tour was going to be not prepared for Red, and Red still slaughtered it. But I think that we're just a little more into a more evolved metagame of Standard, where people know the appropriate ways of preparing against Red now. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I think that Teamer was actually like my the deck of choice that I think that I would go with moving forward, at least for that particular weekend. It's actually changed now. We saw Teamer kind of destroy... The Grand Prix that was in Denver. Yep, another Brad Nelson Corydonmeister topic. Yes, special. another another Brad Nelson special for sure. Yeah, Brad BBD and Corey all top Ford um, with the same seventy five. Yep. I think so. That was you know very impressive, and I think definitely showcased what you can do if you find the correct seventy five for a weekend. Mm-hmm. And I think that that clearly just was the correct seventy five for that weekend. Yep. They opted not to play Scarab God. I'm sure they knew about it, but they opted against it, which is kind of interesting because in all our in our last podcast, I talked a lot about Scarab God and how we thought it was going to be really good, but we ended up kind of shifting away from it mm-hmm. because the problem wasn't that Scarab God wasn't great, um, because it was great in the mid-range mirrors, yep. um, but your mana base was just slightly more clunky, mm-hmm. and your deck overall just felt a little more clunky. Just from having um, the one swamp in there. Right, and... Uh, now, did you cut a land or a spell for the swamp, originally? I think we cut a... We, we went up to 23 lands for okay. the swamp. Yeah, I um, think that's the right way to do it. Yeah, so... Um, but the problem was... Uh, something about just like how the deck felt was just a little more clunky because we were gearing the whole deck a little more towards the mid-range mirror mm-hmm. to the point where we started losing equity against our good matchup, Red. Okay. Like we started playing more Scarab God teamer lists on Moto and we started losing to Red, which mm-hmm. is not something that we wanted to be happening given that we were playing teamer, which was supposed to be preying on Red. So we actually shifted away from the Scarab God again and going back to the original, the the more original teamer lists with the Sky Scoverns in the main. Yeah. And all of the successful lists, both from that the GP and from the Mox, which was pre- pretty much people copying that 75, mm. I think. But yeah. it was it was the weekend of double Sky Sovereign in the main. Yes. Deck. Right. Yeah. Which I love. I love that card. <laughs> <laughs> Sky Sovereign is just is great. And I, I think that we definitely saw that over the course of the weekend where Sky Starman just kind of dominated the tournament because it was that trump card in all the mid-range mirrors. Yeah. Um, I think that we, you know, if you watched coverage, you saw on camera a lot of times where somebody played a Sky Starman and then either the other player had the braid and they played on or had, didn't have the braid and the game, the game just kind ended. of ended. Which is pretty much exactly what you want your, you know, bombs to do. Right. So. And you probably got some value out of it because... You yeah, both something. Kill the right. Warler Virtuoso or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, so th- I think that Teamer was kind of like the big story for that weekend. We also saw, we saw a couple of other decks popping up, like the Godfarer's Gift decks. Mm-hmm. They they had some success. I think they've actually had more and more success as we've moved on from 
the Denver weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing on Moto and just kind of watching a lot of God Hero's Gifts decks being played. Uh, I think that that has actually become a pretty significant portion of the metagame. Is it all about um, the Jeskai version with Insolent Neonate and Cathodic Reading? No, I've actually seen a couple of different versions okay. consistently. Normally when like a you know a new deck comes to prevalence, you'll see a couple of different versions of it and then it'll kind of like hone in on one particular version. Yep. But I've actually seen both a blue-white version with the reanimated artifact spell. Okay. Yeah, that was like the classic one from a few Yeah, the, weeks that was ago. the classic one from, from a while ago. I've seen a lot of that deck and I've seen a lot of the Jeskai version. Okay. So I guess we still have yet to see which one of those kind of like ends up being the God Pharaoh's gift deck. Have you seen the blue-white versions adopt the, like, Trophy Mage plan? Because that seems to me to be, like, one of the more powerful pieces mm-hmm. of the, the Jeskai yeah. plan. And the, you don't need to have red for that, at least. Right, I don't think that I've seen that in the blue-white versions. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't played with either of those decks yet. Yeah. A lot of my teammates have. Zan <laughs> is actually currently testing with a teamer god pharaoh's gift deck that he likes (laughs) what is what does the green get you there are you like grapples or something or yeah he he really likes the green ways of dumping cards in the graveyard yeah i mean it's Uh, worked for him in the past right yeah just that general shell (laughs) you know um sultai god pharaoh's gift why not yeah sure yeah players and then (laughs) (laughs) right so he's been testing with that to some pretty good success cool um as well uh yeah moving forward in the standard metagame i think that we're actually kind of uh, it's pretty much exactly what you expect Standard to do, where you see Standard start off with one archetype being very successful. In this case, it was aggro, was very successful. Mm-hmm. And then kind of the, the metagame kind of evolves into mid-range mm-hmm. decks popping up to beat up on the aggro archetype. But I think that we're actually entering a new phase of Standard, where now you're probably better off playing some deck that goes over the top a little bit somehow. You still need to have a good matchup against Red. So you still need to, you know, have heavy sideboarding implications for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there are two decks in particular that I'm focusing on in terms of what I believe is going to be the next big thing in Standard. Okay. Which is the Godfather's Gifts decks, which I think are very good. Sure. Or some ramp strategies. Mm-hmm. Our team has kind of been looking at two different ramp strategies, green-red and green-white ramp. And I've, I've been thinking... Green white is that mostly because fumigate is very very good or um, it's mostly for fumigate and um, I think that the green white version is just a little bit better against red okay while still maintaining the general yeah. good matchups against the the other mid range decks you have a very good matchup against teamer and zombies and just kind of like all of like the slightly bigger mid rangey decks mm-hmm. their plan revolves around like putting creatures out on the board and killing you with them yep. Uh, and generating value that way, and the white version has four fumigates and two descend upon the descend sinful? upon the sinfuls. That know. seems like a huge draw to me. I I, yeah. I played a little bit of you know a, a green red version mm-hmm. online. It was fine. I kept feeling like my losses were either coming from well, it was really surprising because I saw the success of teamer and, and mid range decks, and so I thought you know maybe if we do some ulamogging then that's the way to take advantage of the way the format is right now. Yeah. Um, but I kept either getting like negated at a very key time mm-hmm. or just not drawing the Ulamog over the course of a pretty long game and, and not hitting it was really brutal. I think my build was bad because I didn't have any walking ballistas in it. 
Um, so I wasn't like a lot of times I had the uh, Sanctum of Ugin out because I had Hour of Promise twice or something like that and yeah. just never could get there. If I had just drawn a Walking Ballista, I could have then tutored for an Ulamog and, right. and that doesn't, you know, because you can cast Walking Ballista on your <laughs> two, so you're not making your deck as top heavy. And I think yeah. not having it was, was a mistake, at least for the green red. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if green white is different in that regard. Green white has a play set of Walking Ballista. Okay. Um, at least the list that I've been running with. Yeah, so me for me personally, I've been pretty high on green white. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been testing mostly that green red has some draws to it. Definitely, it, you get to play some red removal spells that yep. are good, and I think that people really like that against red. But I'm running a playset of authorities in the sideboard yep. of my white deck, so and you do not have access to that in the the green nope. red version. Yeah, so right. So we're gonna continue kind of messing around with that. What we're really gearing towards is DC coming up this weekend. Yep. I'll be going to that and trying to take that down. And I think currently, if the Grand Prix was tomorrow, I would be playing green-white ramp. Okay. Just because... So so the the team and is a little split on whether or not we think that red or white is the better deck mm-hmm. uh, in that archetype. And the arguments that they've given for red have been that you really need answers to a long test cup early. Yeah. Because in the red version specifically... That's kind of a card that you just can't beat as soon as it gets to six toughness, right? Because you're you're I mean you're running for hour of devastations in right. the main, but if it's a six, but, six. yeah, if, if that card gets too big, then it's just out of reach yep. and you kind of can't deal with it, and unless you're casting Ulamog, and if you're casting Ulamog, you're just kind of winning anyways. So, right. I think that the uh, the white version kind of gets uh, it it doesn't have those earlier rule spells. It's got some sideboard uh, collective defiances, but. Uh, it doesn't have uh, any like two mana removal spells that can kill a cub on curve, but it, the sweepers that it runs doesn't care how big the cub is. Right, you're just running fumigates or descends, and you can just kill it that way. Sure. The counter argument to that is that they kind of like ours a lot to be able to deal with planeswalkers and gods, but I just don't really think that those have been too much of a problem. I think the white version of the deck is definitely a little weaker to Chandra specifically mm-hmm. but we do run cast outs so we do have a little bit of answers to that yeah I, right. I like this this is I mean this sounds like some a deck that's been sort of like brainstorming in the back of my head but mm-hmm. I've never actually put it together so yeah right so I'd, I'd definitely be interested in seeing that list I, I mean you pretty much told us the list <laughs> ramp spells yeah. our promise six right. wraths um, yeah the other interesting thing that we kind of haven't come to consensus on yet is which three mana ramp spells we want to run. Yeah. There are a bunch of three mana ramp spells mm-hmm. right now. Um, and they're all very good in very different matchups. Yeah, and they're all very uniquely good. You know, one of them investigates, That's which is really weird, good against, like, wood. control matchups. Uh, one of them gains three life. One of them has cycling. And But then there's another one that I think people might don't not have on their radar as much is the Aftermath ramp spell that has... Four blue, blue, draw two cards. Spring to mind. Spring to mind. That one I've actually been running in the white version because we do run a lot of the the enchantment ramp spells. Which will can, give you double blue. That, that can give you double blue. So that one's kind of like a, a ramp spell that draws you two cards instead of just one from mm-hmm. the investigate. So you're running um, that over the cycling one then? No, we're actually running that over the... Yeah, no, the, yeah, the cycling one. Yeah. Yeah. Because then um, you never get to a point... I, I guess the idea there is... Anytime you would want to cycle it, you'd be better off ramping drawing two cards, and drawing yeah. two cards later <laughs> yeah. on. Right, right. So yeah, we're 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 definitely running that over the cycling one. 
I think that there are just still like a lot of numbers that can still use some tweaking. Yeah. So you know we've got a couple of days until the tournament. We're gonna be we're gonna be running with those things. But that's currently where I'm at with standard. Is that I think that for this weekend I want to be doing something inherently more powerful than everything else, and still kind of hedging a little bit towards red in that I have you know authority of the consoles and some other like white cards that are particularly good against red. Um, yep. So the one thing that. I have been losing to occasionally has been kind of something that you mentioned earlier was just a wealth time to negate out of humor. Yeah. Like sometimes you just like need to wrath and then they negate it and then you're just dead. Right. Um, Cause they never don't have eight power on the board. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It feels that way for sure. Especially if you aren't running like a braid or anything like that. Yeah. So, and, and the other problem that I've really had, and this is on, this is from the green red side, mm-hmm. but I, I suspect that it's very similar from the green white side. You do have descend upon the simple, but Ronus just a surprising number of Ronuses out of the teamer decks. They, they've gone turn three Ronus, and I've kind of looked at my hand and been like, I can't kill every one of their creatures that they're playing mm-hmm. after this. Yeah. And, and it, it does a lot of damage really quickly. Yeah, I mean, Descend and Hour of Devastation are both potential air answers to that. I think right. that the red version is probably better set up against that. Because... And even then, it just... I mean, I, I I guess I just didn't draw the hour sure. until yeah. they had the negate up, or they just <laughs> killed me before it, it yeah. was something I could do. And, right. uh yeah, right, for sure. So there, there is a good chance that Teamer just still has the, all of the tools it needs to beat this matchup. Currently, I'm, I'm definitely liking the positioning of, of Ramp in Standard. Cool. Yeah. Um, I, I do think, like, my current plan for DC, as long as I'm able to go, is I'm probably going to be on Teamer. I, I've, I just am really interested yeah. in having access to a deck with four negates in the sideboard. Oh, yeah, for sure. You, I, yeah, you just can't go wrong with Teamer. Teamer's like the Jund of this format, yeah, right? Where absolutely. It's just playing all the best cards, it feels like, and has access to tools for pretty much all the matchups that you could want. Yep. So, yeah, definitely definitely can't go wrong with that. I think that that's pretty easily your level one choice for this weekend. Yeah. And we've kind of seen most of these weekends taking the level one choice has mm-hmm. uh, you know has at least gotten a couple of decks into the top eight. So. Oh yeah, right for sure. Yeah, I mean in terms of like overall tournament theory, uh, I think that level one is probably something you can't ever go wrong with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you're most likely to set yourself up for a ten five finish with a with a level one deck. Right. Um, but if you get lucky a couple times, you can easily top eight. Yeah. Um, I personally like kind of being on level two, where I'm playing a deck that's going to have a good matchup against pretty much everything that I expect to face. Mm-hmm. And then I hate being on level three. I think it's, I there there are a lot of times where like a teammate of mine it goes like, hey, what if we just like this level three deck for this tournament? We're trying to like get all the people who are going to play what we believe to be the correct deck. And mm-hmm. I think that's just something that you should just never do. Yeah, because I've definitely done that at tournaments. Yep. And um, then you play against mono red three times. And then you play against mono red three times, and then you just die. Right. So. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, yeah, I guess a little bit of tournament theory there for you. It, it kind of depends on your goals a little bit. Like, if you're willing to risk a little bit more in order to get a better shot at that, like, if I get the good matchups, then I can take this to a top 16 or a top 8. Um, I mean, right now, I would like to just go to GPs and pick up two or three pro points because bronze is a thing now. So, mm-hmm. um, that you know, my goal is, you know, if I can hit another 11 and 4, then I'm really close, and that's exactly where I want to be. Yeah. So, you know... Just taking Teamer, I think, is probably the choice that I'm going to make this weekend. Yeah, yeah. It makes sense, for sure. Yeah, can't go wrong, I don't think. But yeah, I think that summarizes standard for me. Um, yeah, trying least. to go bigger. And I, I do like the, like, really going bigger because of the mid-range decks mm-hmm. are 
cannibalizing themselves in order to beat the other mid-range decks. If they're running two Sky Sovereigns, but you're going up to Ulamog, like, you love that they have Sky Sovereign in yes, their hand. Yes, right, for sure. I mean, I definitely have died to a Sky Sovereign because I haven't been able to fumigate it, but for the most in part... In general. Yeah, it's just not a card that they're going to want in the matchup. Yeah, and that's actually one reason that I like the green-white a little bit more, because the green-red deck kind of has to run a couple of Chandras in it to give it that, like... Here's a six mana strong card. Right, right. Before I get to my really good stuff, mm -hmm. uh, but if you play your six mana strong yeah. card and then they sky sovereign it, you just turn <laughs> one of their bad cards into a really good card. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think that I've definitely been a pretty big fan of the descend upon the sinfuls. Mm -hmm. They've been very good for me, and just like the extra sweeper, just makes a big difference because I feel like the games. I feel like I just win every game that I resolve a sweeper, like a good sweeper against like some sort of mid-range deck. Yeah, kill two good guys or three guys or whatever. Yeah, just like whatever their board happens to be. And it's like turn four that I'm able to do this most right. of the time, right? So it's not like I have to wait till turn five, which could potentially be a little late, but turn four at standards, never yeah. really that late against the mid-range decks. Like it can be it can be late against Monored, sure, but... Right. But at least Fumigate gains you three life there. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, at least you're not, you know, dead in the water or anything. Yeah, I think that I think that that's where I'm at currently for standard. Cool. Um, still some testing to do. You know, we'll see how things go. Awesome. Makes sense to me. Yeah. Um, so modern. So you took down an IQ this weekend. I did. Yeah. There were the only big tournament this weekend was Indianapolis, which was a limited Grand Prix, and mm -hmm. I decided not to go for a couple of reasons. The first of which was that I just had no experience in this limited format. Okay. Um, and I don't really like going to the big events if I don't feel like I have a shot at winning them. Yeah, and Indianapolis um, is a little far away to feel like you don't have a shot at winning them. Yeah, right. So I decided not to go to that one, cause just because I've been focusing so much on standard and modern lately. Mm -hmm. And that kind of like freed up my weekend to just kind of like play in a relatively local event. I guess I'm a madman, I consider Roanoke local, but <laughs> it's about two and a half hours away from where we are. Yeah, not um, usually worth the drive for an IQ, but... There's nothing going on at all. Yeah, you know, it's it was a 1K, and I expected some good players to be there, because it's in Roanoke. Yep. Brad Nelson and Todd Stevens were both there. Mm -hmm. So I still wanted to play against, like, a solid crowd. I had the option of going, like, up to Roanoke for an IQ, or, like, down to South Carolina for an IQ. Mm -hmm. And if my objective was to get first place in an IQ, I probably would have gone to South Carolina. But I just wanted to play some good magic. Yeah. So I went up to Roanoke, ended up playing... Kind of a different... I still play Valakut, which is a deck that we've talked a lot about on this podcast, but uh, I kind of switched it up a little bit because I had learned that I think it was just correct to play some form of interaction in the main. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely had some a little bit of pride in the way of that because like the whole <laughs> the whole deal with the deck beforehand was that it was like, you know, no interaction in the main, mono, green, get them. Yep. So I definitely, I definitely experienced that a little bit where... Even, like, going into the tournament after... but I, So I played in the first Open, and that was kind of like a big opening weekend for well, that, that Valkyrie deck. That was Richmond, right? Was the second one you played Yeah, in? so, and then in Richmond, kind of in the back of my mind, I knew that Bolts in the main would probably be a good idea. Yep. But I definitely experienced a little bit of, like, pride getting in the way of me making that correct decision, yep. which I think is an interesting thing to be aware of and notice as a magic player who, you know, experiences all sorts of, you know, real human emotions and, like, but wants to be perfect and right most yeah. of the time. Yeah, I mean, we want um, to play magic playing robots, but that is impossible. <laughs> yeah. And right. not that fun, so. Uh, right, yeah. So so I ended up that, in Richmond, I ended up not playing any interaction in the main. Um, I went up to four bolts in the sideboard, mm -hmm. whereas I only had three the weekend before. 
so I think that, you know, I, I knew on some level that having that interaction in the main was just correct. Okay. And then, you know, uh, I lost to Affinity again, where game one, he just kind of browned me, whereas, like, if I'd just been able to bolt his yeah. Steel Overseer or something, then it would have been fine. So for this IQ, I just decided to swallow my pride and be like, all right, I'm just going to change up the list a little bit. Mm -hmm. I took out the Conley Hot Expeditions, and I put in three bolts. Mm -hmm. Cut an hour of promise for a Summoner's Pact? I, I did cut an hour of promise for a Summoner's Pact, and I put in a little more ramp spells that weren't Conley Hearts. I put in another Force Seek and another Explorer, because okay. I still wanted like a good number of ramp spells. Mm -hmm. And, and the reason I put it in the second Summoner's Pact was because I felt like in my original list, I was kind of like losing some equity with only one Summoner's Pact out of the sideboard. Yep. Like I had a couple bullets in the sideboard that I just really wasn't seeing ever post-board because I only had the one Summoner's Pact. Yep. But I kind of felt like, you know, Pact is still a payoff card. So I can cut an hour for the for the second pact so that like and and then i put in a couple more bullets in the sideboard which kind of like put push that over the edge where i ended up playing a gaia's revenge in the sideboard for mm -hmm. blue white which um given how much blue white we've seen like coming out of the mocks and stuff i think that's that, that seems very yeah good i think right it now. was a good weekend for it for sure i didn't end up playing any of blue white but it's all the right decision yeah. i think I think it was. The the biggest question moving forward that I have for that is, though, I'm not sure if Gaia's Revenge or Thrun is better. Okay. Gaia's Revenge definitely has the hits immediately very hard thing going for it. Right. But... But it does die to Supreme Verdict. It does die to Supreme Verdict, whereas Thrun doesn't most of the time. Yep. I think that if it's specifically Blue-White that we're looking to beat, then maybe Thrun is better. Which is a little weird because I expect... Blue White to board out their Supreme Verdicts. Right. I just don't know what their total board plan is. How right. much stuff can they bring in? They've mm -hmm. got a lot of things that they would kind of like to take out. So right. So right. So I'm not sure exactly where I would fall there moving forward. I think it's pretty close. Um, I like the fact that Guy's Revenge hits like very hard as soon as you cast it. Yeah. And is kind of makes your Valakids very close to lethal. You yeah. Get one online ever. Right, um, and that's kind of how I found that I won those matchups beforehand, was through playing a Valakut and then kind of like manually triggering it enough times to kill them. Yeah, just gotta um, be careful about the tech edges and the spreading seas. Yeah, right, and so right, that's kind of the problem and why I figured that I needed something else for the control matchup was that they just have ways of interacting with that, with the tech edges and the, and the things that you mentioned. Yep. And... I always kind of like playing against control decks with any kind of deck. I don't know, something about <laughs> that matchup, just I kind of like understand it. And normally I can find spots to overload their mana and squeeze in a lethal spell or something like that. Yep. Um, because you can definitely do things a lot where you just get up to a bunch of mana and you don't have any Valkits because they've been interacting with those. But you can like, you know, play something that needs to be cryptic and then play something else that's lethal or something like that. Mm -hmm. But, so I, I, I had just been leaning on that play pattern to win those matchups beforehand, but I definitely, just looking at the matchup on paper, felt that um, we could use some other bullet. So I was pretty happy to have that. Cool. For sure. I went to, I took that deck to the IQ. The overall feeling that I got after leaving the IQ was actually that uh, man, people were really prepared for me this weekend. Okay. <laughs> um, despite winning the tournament. Yeah, despite winning the tournament, you know, I feel like that might be a little too results-oriented because um, 
I played against Burn twice with Blood Moons in the sideboard. That's got to be a terrible matchup. Right, and I, I beat it, but... Um, but you shouldn't have. I probably shouldn't have. Yeah, honestly. Uh, I played against that. There were Elves everywhere, um, which is kind of a nightmare matchup. There's just a lot of stuff at the tournament. My round one was against Vengevine, which I think is unfavorable. Yeah. Um, my yeah my like just to recap the tournament and it's pretty small so I can do that is round one I played Vengevine, round two I played the Mirror Scapeshift, mm-hmm. round three which you're still better set up for than which I think I am better set up for but I think that people are catching on to the hours yeah. so I I didn't I didn't see any hours but I wouldn't be surprised if he had that. But if he, he has did, Angers in his main deck... He did have Chandra's in his main deck. Oh, which, which is pretty good. Which is fine, but not really what you want in the mirror. Yeah. Um, Unless you cast it turn three on the play. <laughs> right, yeah. And then you're ramping up to, yeah. you know, kind of whatever. It's just too dangerous. It's unfair. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, yeah. So he had he had Chandra's. That's kind of like the only unique thing that I saw out of his list. But even then, he knew about my sideboard plan of Ley Lines. Because... Game two, I had a ley line out, mm-hmm. and he rexaged it. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I guess I guess he saw that coming. Yeah. Um, Did you at least, I mean, in the mirror, you would have the, the prismatic omen still in, right? So you could still cast your ley yeah. lines. Going in blind in the mirror, I like bringing in Nature's Claim. Because mm-hmm. you can hit Conley Hearts, prismatic omens, instant speed specifically. If yeah. they, like, go for, a like, a six land yeah. escape drift or something, you can get them. And and then it hedges a little bit against Leyline, but um, unless I know for sure that my opponent's bringing in Leylines, I don't really bring in Rex Sage, mm-hmm. just because it's a little too slow um, and a little too mana intensive to try to hit something like a ramp piece yeah. or something like that. So, uh, but yeah, he's just like, all right, you know, uh, what did he do? He was like, he, he played Primeval Titan, got two Valakuts, passed the turn, and I was like, okay. I played my Primeval Titan, got some Valakuts, passed the turn, and then he just wreck saged my ley line and attacked me and killed me yeah. i was like all right well you were prepared for that yes. so, uh i ended up getting game three there and then match three i played against burn with blood moons in the sideboard defeated that somehow i'm not really sure he game three he was stuck on two lands for like three turns mm, and then just like showed me the blood moon afterwards and i was like okay <laughs> i got pretty lucky there <laughs> and then was able to double draw into top eight and then in the quarterfinals i played against Esper Shadow, um, which I think is just a good matchup for me. Yep. So I was able to beat that. And then in the semifinals, I played against a different burn deck who was playing, uh, a different burn player who was also playing Blood Moons and Molten Rains in the sideboard. Oh boy. And Molten um, Rains. Okay. And that so, sounds a little expensive for burn. It's a lot of three mana cards. It is a lot of three mana cards, but I guess they're just both so good in particular matchups that maybe worth, I don't know. I uh, I do really like that Blood Moon sideboard, just because uh-huh. like any matchup where you want Blood Moon, you do not want Lightning Helix, and then you're basically right. mono red at that point. Yeah, if, I if that's your if depending on what your, your yeah. sixty is. I played a lot of Burn a, like a year and a half ago, so my Burn data is probably a little stale. Mm-hmm. I yeah, Blood Moon was just kind of something that I never wanted to play or see, just because I felt like I was always pretty reliant on my colored spells. Yeah. I think it's so good right now in this current meta that, that right. it's worth that, it. that might just be, you know, worth. You just take out all your colored things and go mono-red post-board. Yeah. Um, I wonder if somebody, like, wrote an article about that or something, if, if multiple people showed up to the tournament with that tech. Yeah, I'll have to look into it. Um, I haven't seen anything, but I haven't been looking too hard, so mm-hmm. maybe. 
I mean, um, it, it just might be that, like, I mean, Blood Moon has been on the rise. Like, right, I've for seen sure. it out of a lot of stuff, and, and yep. Burn is not an insane deck to try to fit it into. Right. Yeah, and then in the finals, it was uh, Elves. Uh, we ended up chopping, and, and he ended up conceding because he didn't care about the Star City points. Okay. But I, I don't think that I ever win that matchup against Elves, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, definitely feel like, you know, I played well, and I think that, you know, I maybe won some games that some other people wouldn't have, but... Um, Overall, the metagame felt very hostile to Scape Shift, um, specifically. I think that it's it just kind of like due to the fact that the Scape Shift has become the almost the deck to beat now. Like yeah, over it's the most played deck. Like over Grixis Shadow, maybe even definitely. And over, I think if we look on Goldfish, like yeah, like Shadow is is down. And now now there's multiple Shadow decks that people do play, but I think it's it's down to like number four in the metagame or something mm-hmm. like that. The Goldfish metagame statistics are a little skewed it's now, true. Um, just because of the algorithm that Wizards has been using to print or to post deck lists. Yeah, fair. And and they're all really close in, in the top couple, anyways. Right. And to be fair, you know, this still is affected. I think the percentages that they're getting might even be more based on um, the uh, the Swiss the Swiss deck list postings that we've mm, been seeing like that's the, true from the PTQs and like the mocks and the PTQs and stuff so yeah I, it's hard to tell but definitely you know people look at MTG Goldfish as a source and you know the first name that pops up on the modern metagame is Titan Shift yep. so and Titan Shift is and modern is constructed in such a way that if if a deck becomes very popular people shift their gears to hate it out like there's so many cards that are like silver bullets in modern and mm-hmm. Titan Shift in particular is a deck that's pretty weak to those silver bullets. Yeah. Like, Grixis Shadow is probably one of the the decks that's more weak against silver bullets as far as like a Jundi midrange style right. deck. Certainly goes. weaker than most Tarmogoyf kind of decks right. would be. But still, it has that resiliency where sometimes you just play a Death Shadow and can kill people, right? But Titan Shift is one of those decks that has a really hard time beating hate pieces like Blood Moon, like. Leyline, yes, th- things like that. So I think that it's definitely pretty easy to hate out, and people are starting to do that. I think that that's just kind of like a footnote that I want to leave on modern, and from the perspective of Titan Shift, mm-hmm. uh, where I guess watch out a little bit. Sure, but it you know still wins games. Yep. <laughs> so uh, so I ended up winning that IQ, um, and then the next day was the mocks, and because I'm a madman, I ended up. <laughs> playing Titan Shift again, the same 75. Yep. And I start off the tournament 0-2. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, and I was like, all right, well, this is kind of what I deserve. Like, I knew that, you know, people were hitting at this deck. Round one, I played against Black White, Leonin Arbiter, Eldrazi, and Taxes deck. Well, at least you had a couple of Bolts main deck this time. At least I had a couple of Bolts main deck. And I actually got game one. I felt like I played game one really well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I just, like, he cast a turn two Leonin Arbiter, and I just started... Holding up two mana every turn, making natural land drops, and I eventually was able to play Prismatic Omen and cast an hour and Wrath is bored. Yeah. And then end up winning from that spot. Just never letting him go score to you. Right, yeah. Um, just kind of like always keeping up the two mana for because I think that's kind of how Leon and Arbiter decks get you most of the time, is that you ended up you end up like on your own turn, pay for Leon and Arbiter cast my ramp spell, mm-hmm. fetch my land, go, 
And then they're just like, okay, Gorse score to you, and now you're down a lane again. Yeah. Um, so do you but think, I think you that... sideboard out a couple of ramp spells in that matchup just because they're so much more awkward? No, you want to you wanna keep in as many ramp spells as you can because you... I guess you go up to a lot of removal. You go up to a lot of removal, and you end up counting on some payoff because the, the payoff spells are the ones that end up getting stuck in your hand. Yeah. Because the games are going to go longer because they're disrupting your ramp strategy. Okay. So you're going to draw into your payoff spells. Sure. Um, so you really want to be able to ramp as hard as you can to kind of counteract their disruption in that regard. Mm-hmm. But then game three, he mulled to five, game three. So I was like, okay, maybe I can get this one. And I kept a pretty decent hand. One and two. Uh, right. No, this is this is m- m- match one. Of, oh, right, right. Um, okay, gotcha. So this I'm still I'm still zero and zero here. Um, so spoilers, I guess. Yeah, spoilers. <laughs> so he kept... A five lander, or not a five lander, a five card hand. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe we can do some stuff. He played a turn two Bob, which I turn two Dark Confidant, which I bolted. Mm-hmm. Another turn three Dark Confidant, which I bolted. Um, and then he played like a turn four Displacer. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, he's not really doing much here. Yeah. And I look at my hand, and it's fifth land, Hour of Promise, Prismatic Omen, Farseek. I can be like, okay, I can cast this Hour of Promise now. Or I can cast this Prismatic Omen and then next turn cast Hour of Promise. For lethal, pretty much. For a lot of damage. Yeah. For, I can't lose now. Right. So I ended up deciding to cast Prismatic Omen and not the Farseek. Because for whatever reason I thought that maybe I should... Maybe I'll be able to cast this later for like that... The like the last couple points of damage. Because the, the Hour would only be... 12 on its own. Right. So so that's kind of went through my head initially. And I just... I was making all these decisions based on uh, maximizing my own damage. And mm-hmm. I just didn't even begin to think about what my opponent could have Yeah. in the spot. Because I was like, he's on a multi-five, he ain't got nothing. Was right. kind of like what went through my mind. Which was just a pretty big punt, I think, in hindsight. Because my opponent still has... His deck is set up really well against me, and I had seen a Thought Not Seer the turn before. Mm. So I should just be thinking about what happens if he... Like, because he, he he missed his fourth land drop, and he had still had two cards in hand. So it's very reasonable that he has a Thought Not Seer in hand and just needs to draw a fourth land or something. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's very... I just needed to pause there and be like, how can I lose this game? Right. Which is something that I know in theory that I need to be doing more often, but I this was just a spot where I just completely didn't do that. Um, and I think the answer to how, how do I lose this game is what happens if he thought seizes me or something. Yeah. Um, or even Leon and Arbiter on the next turn, on that turn, you wouldn't have been able to cast the hour. Right. So there were just way too many things that could go wrong without me casting the hour that turn. Mm-hmm. As it happened, he untapped, he drew, and he played a Tide Hollow Scuttler. Just even more reason for me to just play the hour and then go for the longer game of sure, this hour isn't lethal right now. But my hand doesn't But now I've got anymore. two Valkyrie's in play, yeah. and the rest of my deck... And I have the Prismatic Omen, so the rest of my deck is going to be two Bolts. Yeah. So how do I lose from that point? Yeah. Very less likely. I mean, it's also... Like, it's very difficult against that deck because, like, investing in putting the Valkyrie's in play, you know, they have Tech Edges and Ghost Quarters. Right, so right, that's, yeah. Like, none of your plans are, like, 100% secure <laughs> against what they can do. Yeah. Um, but even if he has, like, one of those pieces, I still have a Valkyrie in play. Sure. So I think that... Uh, I think that I just very clearly threw that game away where um, I had the opportunity to pause, think about what I could lose to given that I was in a good position mm-hmm. and play accordingly. And I just 
kind of threw that away. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think that most of the time I'm pretty good at doing things like that, but I think that that was just kind of like a clear example that reminded me. Come on, Collins. Yeah. Sharpen up a little bit. Yeah. It sounds like you kind of bought into the Mold of Five a little too much. Um, and... Right. Yeah. I was just so confident now that he Mold of Five. It's like, all right, well, now I can't lose. You know, um, I'm just going to be able to have four bolts next turn. Mm-hmm. Or, or just not and die to this Todd Hollows color. Yeah. And then the next turn I drew a Scape Shift. So had I Farseeked the turn before, mm-hmm. as well as cast the Prismatic Omen, right. I can still damage. win. Right. But yeah, so I just felt like they were just I just played that game pretty horribly. So I lost that, and then I died the next... And then round two, I played against another bad matchup, which was Vizier combo, mm-hmm. uh, and I just got rolled. Um, but I, I guess I'm very lucky, because I ended up winning the next six matches pretty to, good. <laughs> pretty good. to qualify for the Mox Finals. Playing against, I think, what are pretty much all decent matchups for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what... I mean, what is the metagame looking like right now? Like, these Mox decks are kind of crazy a little bit. Yeah. A lot of control decks, uh, a couple of Storm decks, and then, yeah, this one on Goldfish is just called White, Blue, Black, Red, Green, which is this... Oh, yeah, that's... Uh, that's Death Shadow deck. Magnus Lanto's Death Shadow pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is It is absolutely um, a pile. He, he's been playing Death Shadow maybe longer than anybody else has, mm-hmm. so he just knows something that nobody else does, really, um, and... He really likes Tarmogoyf in his Death Shadow decks. Yeah. Um, and he also likes Stubborn Denial. So he's just kind of doing all of the things. And four, four Traverses. Yeah, um, he, still, he still likes the Traverse package. Um, and managed to fit two uh, Battle Rages in the main deck even, which is yeah, pretty phenomenal. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, this is just essentially Jund, Death Shadow, Splashing Blue, I think. Um, and he's also got the Disdainful Stroke tech in the sideboard, mm-hmm. which I've been seeing a lot of. And he also has the uh, the Lingering Souls Ranger Vios package yeah. that um, he's been playing almost since the beginning of Death Shadow. Yeah, in this hard, version, hard to grind it, hard to grind against that. Right, that yeah. package. Yeah, I mean, he just wants that that kind of tool to play against um, the other Death Shadow decks. Um, I think the other Death Shadow decks are kind of leaning away from things like Kozilek's Return. Mm-hmm. People have kind of been like trimming on the number of things that answer Lingering Souls. Sure. Because the Death Shadow matchups used to be all about either playing your own Lingering Souls or being able to beat opposing Lingering Souls. Mm-hmm. Um, like that was something that the Grixis Death Shadow deck had to make sure that it had an answer for because playing against the Jund Splash White decks, that was kind of like the postpart plan that everybody knew about, so you needed to be prepared for it. Yeah. Um, but people, but this deck in general, the Jund Mishra's Bobble Traverse. Death Shadow deck has been kind of like down in popularity, so people have been trimming on those things, mm-hmm. I think, a little bit. And running the wrong Liliana um, for that particular situation. Yes, right, for sure. People are back to running more Veils, um, I think, than, than The Last Hope. So yeah, I think that he he was just able to be like, hey guys, remember this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and beat up on a lot of people who weren't prepared for that. Yeah. Um, and then with kind of the decrease of Death Shadow, you know, the other Death Shadow decks, there's Seems to be a lot more room for a lot of blue-white control, some Storm, like Amulet Titan, like these kind of disruptable decks that don't love to see a Thoughtseize, but do a lot when they don't get Thoughtseized are, are kind of right. winning a lot of matches. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that, yeah, Titan Shift is very resilient to discard effects. It um, is. So, um, yeah, definitely seeing seeing a lot of that. Um, Gift Storm continues to do pretty well. Mm-hmm. Blue-white control continues to do pretty well. 
Uh, we always see one Amulet Titan, it feels like, nowadays. I guess There's so. always just one person in, like, the really big events that does well with that deck. I mean, whoever um, whoever brought it and then ran well with it, I guess. Like, Drew. Or, or whoever brought it and just, like, really knows how to play it very well. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think um, that's the basic requirement, but mm -hmm. I think you also just have to draw Amulet a lot. Yeah, that's fair. It does kind of, like, lean on that pretty hard, from what I've seen. Um, I, um... I mean, this deck used to be... This deck essentially got banned, like, a while ago because it was so good with um, Summoner's... Summer Bloom. Summer Bloom. I, th I mean, I think that the Sircara Tribe Scouts are are also very good, so... Yeah. so yeah. Just the difference between having a, a turn one amulet yeah, and not right. having one is so... Yeah. Just so being able nice. to straight kill somebody uh, on, like, turn three or something is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and, and making your bounce lands just completely broken. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. This is pretty Very good. silly, for sure. <laughs> Elves is another one of the decks that I've seen popping up a lot lately. Yeah. Um, and doing pretty well. Uh, I think that's interesting. I Often think that, with a uh, Vizier combo in it. Yeah. It's just so easy to fit in the Vizier combo because yeah. all you really need to do is run four Devoted Druids, which is like a fine elf anyways. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't have Defender, so it can still attack. Yep. And you've um, already got... Your win condition is already a card that... Yeah, and you're already you playing four Azuris. Yep. Yeah, so if you've got infinite mana, then, you know, um, it's not like you have to fit in a Walking Ballista or something else. You just have that ability to kill somebody with yep. the Azuri. And you have so many guys, like, you'll have at least one token available to attack with when you do that. So, mm -hmm. yep, pretty powerful. I mean, I definitely, you know, Ross Miriam turned three me two games in a row with it yeah, uh, yeah. At, at the Open. It was very right. impressive. Yeah, the, the, the amount of times that this deck turned threes is is pretty crazy, I think. I, I think it's higher than pretty much any other deck in the format. Yeah, um, just in terms of like a consistent um, turn three kill. Mm -hmm. um, if you're looking for that in modern right now, I think that this is definitely where you want to be. Yeah. If um, you're trying to like cast the same Court of Calling two or yeah. three times on your third turn a fair amount of the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Pretty ridiculous. Yeah, and that's part of why I think that this is such a bad matchup for Valkyrie. We're a turn four deck mm -hmm. pretty consistently, but this is a turn three deck pretty consistently and if we're not interacting with them then they're just gonna be able to do their thing and kill us and, so. and one bolt usually just you know slows you down by half a turn as well as slowing them down by half a turn and isn't enough right so yeah i mean sometimes if you can bolt their turn one guy then you're yeah. good sometimes on turn two if they have that turn one guy then they just dump a bunch of stuff out and then your bolts are kind of meaningless right like you can get the heritage druid but it doesn't right matter anymore so definitely an interesting thing, you know, going forward. Um, I think that we're transitioning back to a period in modern now a little bit where some of these just mid-rangey control decks are in a good spot. Like, you know, Abzan, just good old-fashioned Tarmogoyf, Seed Rhinos, Liliana's Abzan yeah. went 8-0 in this tournament. Yep, each card um, is good and that can be enough. Right, so yeah, I think that he, he definitely had the tools that he needed to do well in this tournament. Surgical Extractions, Fulminator Mages... Ruined Halo. He had a lot of pieces that are very geared towards the metagame as it exists right now, mm -hmm. which is just, you know, the thing that you need to do with the mid-range decks. So, yeah. yeah, and I think we may be moving back to a slightly more normal modern, where Lightning mm -hmm. Bolt is a good card and Tarmogoyf is a good card. Kind of back to pre-Death Shadow a era bit. a little bit, yeah. Just because, like, Death Shadow is there, but it's not mm -hmm. just taking a huge bite out of the metagame right. anymore. Uh, and one interesting thing is that kind of people were talking about a couple of weeks ago that Eldrazitron might just be easily the best deck now. Where's Eldrazitron? Yeah. In, in the mocks. It's, I kind of don't it's just see not it. There. I mean, look at these decks that did well. Yeah. Is Eldrazitron good against any of these decks besides Abzan? Like, not yeah, really. Not really. Maybe Blue White Control. 
Um, yeah. Maybe Blue White Control, maybe not even. Yeah. I mean, Supreme Verdict's really good. I don't actually know that much about that matchup, so. Yeah, I'm I mean, it is a Tron sure. deck, so. It's just a Tron deck, and it goes big, and that's kind of hard to keep up with, but looking at all of the 6 and 2 or better deck lists in the mocks, uh, I don't see a single Eldrazi Tron, which is very interesting. I mean, you know, Modern adapts, and I think that given the current you know, way that Modern's configured right now, that Eldrazi Tron's just not a good place to be. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, like, Eldrazi Tron is, tends to be pretty powerful against a lot of these mid-rangey... I mean, it's, it's obviously still really good against, like, Abzan, and it tends to be okay against, like, Collected Company kind of decks, but all these Collected Company decks we're seeing also have an infinite combo in them. Mm-hmm. So whether that's Coral Helm or uh, Vizier combo or something like that, and I can just go over the top if they don't have, like, a big walking ballista online or something, so... Right. So yeah, I think I think Eldrazi Chan is in a pretty rough place right now. Yeah, especially if people are running Blood Moons and other land hate because Valakut is so good. Right. That's yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Um. And thinking back to the IQ that was in Roanoke, both Todd Stevens and Brad Nelson were playing Eldrazi Tron, mm-hmm. and they didn't have a good tournaments. If if they can't do it, <laughs> right, then, then don't try it at home. Right. Yeah. So. I agree. Yeah. So that's modern. Uh, I think we should talk about some of these Ixalan spoilers. Yes. Uh, some of these cards are sweet. Some of these cards are really <laughs> sweet. I mean, I'm like, you know, we're the Spiky Podcast, but I'm pretty into some of the design mm-hmm. elements here, just what the cards look like. I can definitely tell that it feels to me like an above average number of these cards are kind of geared towards EDH. Yeah. Um, it is the Dinosaur and Pirate set. <laughs> right. I mean, I, you know, I can see why. <laughs> like, if, if you're going to have a set geared towards EDH, it's being a Dinosaur and Pirate set seems like what you want to be. Yeah, um, but you know we we got Hour of Devastation, and most people were kind of down on it a lot for standard and stuff, mm-hmm. and it really made a huge difference in the meta game. Uh, yeah, a lot of Hour of Devastation cards are super playable. Um, yeah, so um, some some of these cards might be a little deceptive. Right. So there are a few cards that were interesting. A lot of people are talking about the treasure map. Honestly, has been a little hard for me to evaluate. Um, yeah, this one is borderline impossible to evaluate. My initial reaction after reading through the card and kind of understanding what it does is mm-hmm. that it's, in a cons- from a constructed sense, it's just not playable. It's a two-mana artifact that acti- after you've activated it and tapped it three times, it turns into, uh, you get three lotus petals and you get a land that says, sack, tap, sack a... Lotus Petal draw card. Yeah. So you can either have like plus three ramp on that turn mm. to cast your big dinosaurs. Yep. Or you can draw three cards over the course of three turns with the yeah. the land that it turns into. And I think the fact that it gives you those options is the thing that pushes it closest to playable for me. Mm-hmm. I think the two things holding it back make it just slightly too awkward. I think yeah. it costing two rather than one is a huge hit against it because yeah. you you're doing things on turn two in standard right like you can't skip your turn two. yeah um, especially yeah. if you're, if be you're spending more mana on this if i'm casting a long tusk cub and my opponent's casting a treasure map on turn two yeah i feel very happy about how this game's going <laughs> you know so yeah i just uh this card seems sweet it's probably pretty good and limited yes um like, I mean, I don't know how fast or slow the format's going to be, but if it's, like, relatively slow, then... I mean, if they want us to cast our dinosaurs, it can't be that fast. True, 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 yeah. Um, hopefully this is kind of like a Rise of the Eldrazi cast the big things set. Because we've been we've had a, a couple of very, very fast formats, so... 
it'll be it'll be kind of like a new refreshing thing to see like a, a slower limited format yeah so. although hour is a little bit slower than i had first thought that it would be um so it's it's been a pretty decent mid-rangey rampy kind of yes format. that's true that's true but yeah it, it would be nice to get a real dinosaur format man um, the other problem I have with this is that the third time you activate it, when it transforms, it actually is still tapped, so you don't get to like get a mana back from it that turn, um, which isn't the hugest difference, but it makes it pretty oh, awkward. Yeah. But the, the transform side looks really cool. It's got this like treasure map border to it. I, it's a super pretty card. I'm very into it. Yeah, but I don't I don't think it gets there. Plus, they can abrade it like in response to your third activation of it. Yeah, yeah, but uh, overall, I think that it's uh, pretty cool. It's a yeah, uh, good design, cool design, I think. Yeah, there are a couple of cards in here that are like very interesting designs, but I'm just not sure how playable they're going to be from a constructed sense. Mm -hmm. For example, Rowdy Crew is another card that I kind of like had to read a lot of times to understand, just from like a context of like you know play patterns and what this card actually looks like. Right. So this is a a four mana three three two red red for a three three. Yeah. Uh, when it comes into play. You draw three cards, discard two cards at random. Um, so you go, I mean, it's You next. go up a card. You go up a so card. So it's card advantage. But and then if you, the two cards you discarded share a card type, then this is a 5-5 five, five instead of a 3-3. Three, three. You get two plus one, plus one counters. Right. So, yeah. So sometimes you're going to cast this card, and you're going to get an extra card and have a 5-5. Five, five. Mm -hmm. Trample on for four mana, which is good. But I think that this is another one of those like limited bomb not playable in constructed cards just because yeah. you know in constructed discarding cards at random is just a little too high variance for i think what you want to be doing in constructed right because you're tending um, to play cards that do very that are powerful at doing very specific things so if you discard the wrong specific card whereas yeah. in limited you know a lot of your cards do very similar things to each other. Right. They're efficient so, creatures. Yeah, I mean, maybe there's some red mid-range deck that just like has all good cards and it doesn't matter and you can play this card as just another good card. Well, it, it really benefits from you being like mostly creatures and lands. Because yeah. then it's more likely right. to be a 5-5 five, five, and then a lot of your cards do the same things. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting for sure. And then we can talk about the new Jace as well, which yeah. is another card that... This one, I think, you know, out of all of them, seems like it could be the most playable and constructed, mm -hmm. just because it's a three mana planeswalker, and yep. those are the ceiling for the or the yeah the floor of those is pretty high, I think. Mm -hmm. um, so essentially, it's you know one blue blue three loyalty planeswalker has plus uh, whenever one or more creatures you control deals combat damage to a player, uh, you draw a card and then discard a card, so you loot essentially, uh, and then it has minus two make a bear that's an illusion which has when it becomes the target of something then it's sacrificed mm -hmm. and then has this kind of sweet minus five ability of create two tokens that are uh copies of jace but they lose legendary because there's it's a new now planeswalker there's no planeswalker yep. rule anymore all planeswalkers are legendary which means you can have multiple different jaces or lilianas in play at the same time now which is pretty cool yeah um right that was a recent update that they had on um the uh, just kind of like how magic works is that it used to be that you could only have one of each type of planeswalker, so one of each Jace, one of each Liliana, mm -hmm. but they kind of got away with that, and now you can just play Gideon Tribal. Gideon Tribal <laughs> That's something that I've been hearing floating around <laughs> a lot. People had just kind of for fun made like Gideon Tribal decks beforehand because there's just so many Gideons, but but now you can just play it. Yep. <laughs> and it's honestly 
probably could beat some stuff. Yeah, but, uh, probably for you sure. You got a, a wide range of mana costs, and they all—I yeah. mean, they all do one main thing, which is turn into a dude. But a lot of them do weird, yep. neat stuff. You got some one drops. You got some three drops. Yep. You got some four drops. You yeah. do skip turn two. I guess that's where your removal spells go. Oh, okay, sure, sure, right. Um, yeah, too funny. But um, but yeah, so new new update on that. That's kind of like the the rules changed from that came out of this set. Yeah. Um, but so this Jace, I think. I mean, the bar on three mana planeswalkers to be good is is pretty low. You know, like Nissa on first read mm-hmm. doesn't seem incredibly powerful, but hey, one of her abilities makes a guy, and other abilities like put some power on the table. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading Liliana the Last Hope mm-hmm. and thinking it was just bad. Yep, not boy not was sure. I wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it'll be interesting to see kind of where this card takes us. I mean, it seems like. You know, like, it's his plus one, like, really rewards... You know, we kind of had some iterations of a Flash deck with, like, two mana, two power flyers in it and, and stuff like that. Like, this is the most aggressive Jace we've ever seen. All of the other ones, like, draw cards and bounce creatures and stuff, and this mm-hmm. guy does not really do that. Yeah, he's he says whenever creatures deal combat damage. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got a plan. Um, it's too bad, like, he really... Like, he gives you mana... F- zero mana looting mm-hmm. as all the madness cards rotate out of standard yeah but and one interesting thing about this jace that isn't really relevant outside of edh is that <laughs> i heard that he combos with doubling season yep yeah you immediately get infinite jaces and infinite tokens <laughs> yeah i thought that was just kind of funny jace combo so he um, does combo reasonably well with anointed procession that's true yeah, that's very true. Which Minus is two, get two two twos is yep. very reasonable. Minus um, five, get two Jaces, and then they each make two two twos immediately. Like, that's a board. Yeah, minus five. Or get four Jaces. Get four Jaces. Yeah, no, you're right. And get then they each make two two twos. Yeah, so then you've got eight two twos. Yep. Um, that's pretty good. <laughs> it is pretty good. I mean, you got to get them up to five and stuff, but it's real easy to block creatures in that deck, so. Right, for sure. Um, yeah, the and so the, kind of the hardest part of uh, evaluating all these new cards is that we just we honestly have no idea what the archetypes look like yet for new standard. I mean, we're losing because this so many this sets. comes with the rotation. Yeah, we're losing we're losing four sets out of standard, um, half of standard, so. which is a lot. Yeah, for sure. Whether or not I think that Jace will be playable in the new standard is kind of I, maybe. <laughs> I would be very surprised if we don't see Jace. For at least a couple of different points. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's going to be in standard for two years. Or, or what? I'm probably wrong about the rotation schedule at this point. I can't really keep up. But he's going right. to be in standard for a while. There's right. going to be some deck that makes good use of him yeah. at a couple of different points. In for standard. sure. Yeah. I mean, we're losing old Gideon. We're losing yeah. just a bunch of stuff. A bunch of the go-to options are gone. Like, Heart of Kieran is still a thing in standard it's gonna want some planeswalkers to feed on it works really well with this jace actually mm-hmm. you play heart of kieran on turn two you plus the jace and then you get to loot like turns it into a smuggler's copter i mean yeah yeah for sure um yeah kind of too bad that we don't have smuggler's copter for pirates the set but oh, i know <laughs> can't smuggle any goods at all right yeah maybe they'll unban it <laughs> yeah Probably not. not. Probably not. But yeah, uh, you know, some maybe some blue-white tempo deck can fit in a chase. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I we're losing know. spell quality. Wait, right? Yeah, we lose spell quality, right? I believe that we lose spell quality. It's hard to keep track, man. But yeah, yeah. We, we definitely lose spell quality. I think that... Uh, oh, the other interesting card 
that's probably going to be a staple. Well, maybe. Um, if there's a black heavy deck, then we've got Walk the Plank. Yeah. Um, and this one is tough. Which is... Um, I just don't know how good Sorcery Speed Removal is anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's fair. You know, we, we've got... Uh, oh, sorry. So this is black, black sorcery, destroy target, non-merfolk creature. Right. So, yeah, I mean, if there becomes a merfolk deck in standard, which out of just one set I don't think is going to be the case, then probably not. But we've got Never Return, which is kind of only ever seen, like, a couple of sideboard slots. Mm -hmm. But the fact that this is one mana cheaper makes me want to believe that it's probably going to be good. Right. I don't know. Another card that's kind of tough to evaluate without understanding what the format kind of turns into. Sure. But I, I would suspect that this sees a decent amount of play in the new standard format. Probably. I mean, it's very efficient. Yeah. Especially if people are, again, casting dinosaurs and constructed, you know, making yes. a dinosaur walk the plank right. is probably a good thing to do. Although, kind of one of the main dinosaurs we got here, you can't can't make it walk walk the plank is it a merfolk um no it's it's the carnage tyrant so it's the six mana seven six can't be countered trample hexproof oh that guy just yeah, a, okay. a huge monster against any control deck yes um yeah people are actually talking about this card um in the context of like sideboard in Valkit. but yeah. i think it's I mean, probably already just, got it's probably just worse than guys revenge and orthron so i mean if it's better it's not significantly better right. i i think I, like, I'm thinking about it for standard implications. Yeah, yeah. You know, if you are running a control deck that doesn't have Wraths, mm -hmm. like literal Wraths, because Out of Devastation does not kill this six-toughness creature. Right. But it's really hard to answer. And, and, you know, we've seen Sphinx of the Final Word as a powerful sideboard card in, in the control yeah. mirrors. And this guy is just cheaper and bigger. bigger. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that, you know, the blue-red control deck that we had seen in standard for a while just can't be this yeah, card. This, I think this, the existence so, of this card might eliminate that from ever being a real contender in the right, game. Right. Like, it's bigger than Gear Hulk, and none of your other cards do anything against it. Yeah. I mean, that deck also loses Wandering Fumarole, so I, I can't imagine wanting to play Blue-Red in the new new standard. But. Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of loses it too many things. Um, do we keep the Gear Hulks? Yeah, those are Kaladesh. Okay, cool. Uh, right, so I think he's definitely another piece that we'll be seeing moving forward. There are a couple of like interesting two drops. Deep Root Champion. Is this is, the Corian Dread? He's a one in a green, mm -hmm. one one. Whenever you cast a non-creature spell, put a plus one plus one counter on him. Yep. We've seen cards like that exist before. Um, I don't know how many of them made an impact in standard, but yeah, it's tough because standard is not a cantrip format. Right. Yeah. Um, we don't really have access to good cheap cantrips they do exist like we've got crash through and some other things but um, yeah but they're not good yeah not not really cards that you want to be putting in your standard deck for sure yeah. i do like you know this is a thing that i i like to have a riddle form as well um unfortunately these cards clearly never go into the same deck um but you know the clause is non-creature spell so it triggers off of Planeswalkers, it triggers off of Artifacts. Mm -hmm. um, and that's that's a big bonus over like just instants and sorceries because you want to put some Planeswalkers in your deck. Yeah, for sure. So, um, but yeah, I, um, I'm excited. There, there's a lot of new, pretty sweet things that I think that we're seeing out of the new set. And we, you know, not only a small percentage of it has been spoiled so far. It looks like it's going to be a big set, 269 cards or something like that. Yep. Um, I do like Hostage Taker. Just to, to bring up one other really cool card, although it's already been eroded um, because it 
uh, the text. So it's two blue black for a two three. When it enters the battlefield, exile target artifact or creature until hostage taker leaves the battlefield. You may cast that card for as long as it remains exiled, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any type to cast that spell. So this is like a weird kind of Gonti for the, you know, onboard decks rather than the like slower decks. It, it reminds me a lot of Sower of Temptation. This obviously isn't as much insane tempo as, as Sower of Temptation was. Right. Sower of Temptation has been good and certainly was amazing in standard and then has seen play in older formats at various times. Um, and this one, as long as you do cast that creature or whatever you got with it, they can't get that value back from you. You just have it at that point. You know, it's great against any deck that is skimping on removal um, and is, is trying to attack you with creatures. The three toughness makes it very vulnerable to, like, most of the removal that, like, the red deck is playing. But, like, I, I think this card is going to matter a lot if yeah. there's any sort of blue-black deck. Potentially. Uh, what was the errata on it? Um, um, so it, it should say exile another target artifact or creature, because as it is, if the board is empty um, and you play a Hasha's Taker, the game is a draw. Oh, oh, that's hilarious. Yes. <laughs> uh, cool. So, so yeah, that got fixed. That's funny. Yeah, we we don't really want a four mana draw the game card to exist ever no. in standard. No, that's, not, <laughs> that's not healthy. <laughs> Actually, one of the huge things that I forgot to mention is we've got check lands again. We've got Dragon Skull Summit and oh and yes, um, which I think. You know, making allied color decks in this standard, the mana bases are surprisingly awful. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but the check lands go so well with the cycling lands. Because, like, cycling lands plus the the reveal lands don't really work. One right. of your lands is coming into play tapped. Right. But yeah. with, with Dragon Skull Summit, you play your cycle land on turn one, and then you play your Dragon Skull Summit on turn two, and you can cast your spells. Um, so yeah. I'm, I'm pretty excited to just build regular old blue-black and red-black decks again. Yes, for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, definitely kind of like an insight into what our standard meta, standard, uh, mana bases are going to look like moving forward, Yeah, which is pretty cool. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like most of the post-rotation sets have something similar to that, so, um, it's definitely cool to see these check lands coming out. Yeah, yeah, I, th I think they'll be very, very helpful. Mm -hmm. Um... I mean, there's there's just a few more cards. There, there's nothing, like, clearly insane yet, uh, I don't think. I mean, yeah, there, there's some right. cool things. There's, like, the seven mana, destroy a land, deals 20 damage to each creature in Planeswalker, <laughs> yeah. which is yeah. neat. Yeah, nothing, nothing like, no Siege Rhino-style cards, really. Nothing that's just too insane. Yeah. But definitely some, like, powerful cards. But everything seems costed appropriately Agreed. in terms of mana cost. So I agree. Uh, I also do like the Naya Legendary Dinosaur, mm -hmm. uh, Gishath, Sun's Avatar. Just, it is, like, we haven't really had, like, a reanimation target. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, I mean, this guy's kind of the wrong colors because you really would love to be able to cast your reanimation target eventually. And the if you build a reanimator deck, it's probably, like, blue and black right yeah. now. But this guy is so much for 8 mana. 7-6, Trample, Vigilance, Haste. Whenever he deals combat damage to a player, you reveal that many cards from your library and put all the dinosaurs into play. Yeah! <laughs> so if you're a reanimator right. deck and there are the dinosaurs to run the reanimator deck, which may include the big hexproof guy, may include this this life gain dinosaur, 7 mana, 5-5, five, five, whenever it or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, you gain life equal to that creature's toughness. 
to just put you way out of reach of, right. of any aggressive deck. Yeah. He combos with the white dinosaur that gives all of your attacking creatures double strike. That's, that's you can get, you two get twice as many dinosaurs. Yeah. <laughs> um, I feel like that seven mana three three does not quite make it into a constructor. Yeah, deck. probably not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But but it would be sweet. It would be sweet. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that the current like good reanimation target is Razaketh. I think that we've seen that in some, like, Sultai reanimator decks. Yeah, and um, it just seems to leave a lot to be desired. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it doesn't have that immediate impact on the game. Right. Um, it doesn't, like, immediately stabilize you. It just kind of, like, is big and lets you take up the game later. Yeah. I I played against that, like, twice with uh, Ramp, mm-hmm. and it just felt like it did not matter what cards I draw drew. It did not matter what cards my opponent drew. <laughs> like, could not kill me faster than I could get an Ulamog into right, play. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, Ulamog is definitely one of the ones that's tough for that deck to beat, for sure. Yeah. Although, Ulamog will be very, very gone in the new standard, so, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? Who knows what will happen? It's a whole new world. Um, I guess we may want to spend some time next episode talking about what's leaving. and. Uh, yeah, for sure. And I, I think that I need to take a look at that, because I, yeah. I feel a little out of touch on what's what now. Um, so definitely going to be looking at what we're losing um, maybe even a topic for next next episode. Yeah, I think that should probably be one of our main topics because I, I need to sit down and, and say, okay, these right. decks are not decks anymore. Right, right, and for go sure. from there. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, all right. Um, I think that that's pretty much a good summary of what my thoughts are. So. Yep, yep. And definitely looking forward to seeing the rest of the spoilers. I mean, I, I, I do want to say that I, I really respect wizards' response to these leaks now Mm -hmm. um because you know we have so many cards so early in the spoiler season because somebody stole multiple sheets uh from from a a print factory yeah i think they they actually posted a an article on that Mm -hmm. that's on the mothership that's probably worth a read definitely worth checking out there i think yeah And, and this was just a pretty mature like yeah hey we know that you guys have these cards so we're just gonna give them to you and we're gonna Go about spoiler season a little differently. Mm-hmm. Show some more uncommons because this was a rare sheet. So right, yeah, a lot right. of, of all the sheets to be spoiled. Yeah, so um, definitely, yeah, definitely a, a more than usual amount of rares and mythics that we that we're seeing so far. So yeah, so pretty big blow to the marketing team. Right. Yeah, but, but I'm sure they'll make it work. Yeah, timing is definitely important in their mind for that kind of stuff, and that, that's the thing that got messed with this time. But I don't think that's going to stop people from being excited about the set. No, so. probably not. And, and fortunately, right, it, it's the kind of set that's going to appeal to a lot of different groups. I mean, it's it's dinosaurs and pirates, and people are are going to laugh at these silly cards and want to play with them. Yes, so. right, for sure. Yeah, definitely a good set for like getting new people interested in in magic. I think. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we sometimes yeah. forget about like the flavor and art aspect of it a little bit while right. grinding. But, <laughs> but these are, I mean, I, and I like, I love the feathery dinosaurs and I love the pirates and mm. like these are cool looking cards. So yeah. I'm down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks a lot for joining us. Um, until next week. Good luck grinding. Yeah, signing out. I'm going to be going to DC this weekend, so see yeah. how that goes. Hopefully, please pick up a couple of points. <laughs> <laughs>